0: From GreenBiz Group, welcome to Center Stage, the best of live interviews from GreenBiz events. I'm Joel McCower.
1: So it's going to be driven basically, your, your fuel source is going to be more stable and cheaper, and you combine that with what's happening in battery costs right now, which is they're following the same trajectory and energy density is going up. David Hochschild serves on the California Energy Commission. He sat down to talk
0: decarbonization with Representative Chris Lee, Chairman of the Energy and Environmental Protection Committee in the Hawaii State Legislature, Peter Ingram, CEO of Hawaiian Airlines, and Heather Clancy, Green Biz's Editorial Director, at the Verge Hawaii Conference in 2018. They explored the design possibilities, implementation strategies, and potential impacts of a carbon tax in Hawaii. Let's listen in.
2: We are incredibly honored to have this this group of individuals here this afternoon we we've, the topic that we're going to discuss is one that's come up a couple of times actually it's been referenced um, there's many policies in this state that are coming together to inspire this this clean energy future the the where we want to go how we want to have this island a series of islands um, become more sustainable and and how we might inspire the rest of the the world and and uh, The particular topic for for the last panel of the day is the carbon standard that that we're debating and and starting to talk about here in Hawaii. We have a really wonderful group of of individuals here, as I mentioned, Representative Chris Lee, and he is um, with the Hawaii State Legislature. He's also the chair of the energy panel that's come up with a lot of these these different policies. We have uh, Commissioner David um, Hochschild. Child, I'm sorry. I tried. <laughs> and we also have, and he's with the California Energy Commission. So the, the state has, has put a lot of these ideas into place and has a great market that they're going to talk about and how it might have reference for what's, what's going to develop here in Hawaii. And finally, we also have Peter Ingram. He's the CEO of Hawaiian Airlines and he's going to bring the business point of view to this discussion. So Representative Lee, I wanted to start with um, you since you were uh, instrumental in this, this new uh, legislation that was just signed into law last week actually. Um, one, of, one part of it being that the, the state will be carbon neutral by 2045, the declaration to, to, in, of intent there, as well as now um, putting in place a carbon offset uh, program, some sort of program to, to help inspire um, a profitable evolution Um, so can you give us a better sense of the give give us a little bit more background on what what you're hoping to accomplish and why if you believe it i believe you do this is so closely tied to this 100 um uh, declaration that the state has made
3: sure you know um this is still new i think uh we are we are still soliciting feedback, I think, from the community, from the stakeholders and the business community, uh, and all the other players who've been a part of this, including our colleagues at the legislature, who really made possible some of the the policy goals that we've put in place in recent years. And I think for us, um, it is about taking the momentum we have and translating it forward. You know, we've had our 100% RPS on the books for about three years now. We've... um, i uh, got the counties on board with moving toward 100% clean transportation on the ground. We've got folks in the business and private sectors who are doing their part to, to uh, profitably uh, take action. But what we didn't have was something that tied together all these different sectors. And so this year, I really want to give credit to my fellow legislators, some of whom are here today, um, for thinking outside the box to figure out what next steps can we take to open up the doors to additional investment, to additional progress, and ultimately uh, uh, our forward momentum, translating our 100% renewable energy efforts in the electricity sector, tying them together with our our transportation sector, and now dealing with, ultimately, what is the 800-pound gorilla that we're trying to address in the room, which is our contribution to climate change here in Hawaii. So moving toward this broader goal really, I think, ties everything together nicely, and lays the foundation for folks like Peter and others to be able to do more with the resources that we have and the capital flowing into the state as a result.
2: So, give me a sense of what's next, right? So, you've made this very again another bold declaration um, and put this program out there. So, what has to happen now? Like, who's going to be involved with defining what, what what goes into place? You know, we've
3: got um, some great folks from all sectors working together to do really two things. One. Figure out from a a metrics perspective, one, how we address carbon in Hawaii. How do we measure it? How do we catalog it? How do we we tie into other markets that exist in California and other places? And secondly, um, with that data and with that foundation in place, how do we empower our local stakeholders to be able to take advantage? And where there are states like California and others that are far ahead of us in that. Uh, respect. How do we leverage their capacity and their resources and their carbon credits to be able to help our local businesses right here?
2: Which sectors are involved?
3: Right now we've got um, on this group, we've got a big focus on agriculture, our local uh, farmers and ranchers who could take advantage of uh, their best practices to sequester carbon. We've got uh, our Department of Land and Natural Resources, state and county partners who can do a lot of Uh, reforesting and capturing carbon through planting native trees. And there's certainly a significant amount of land and all the folks who've been involved here in this room and around the state who are already doing their part on the renewable energy side, transportation side, to really catalyze the kinds of um, change that we're seeing and draw in those investments to create new jobs and do all the rest of it that we we know is going to ultimately have to be done to achieve this. And this is, a, I think, in that respect, tying these these pieces of the puzzle together that have this forward momentum already really makes this possible. And I think everyone we've talked to believes that we can do this as a state and doing it we will open the door to similar kinds of progress in other states and hopefully the rest of the world.
2: We'll get a little bit more into what this might look like in a moment, but I wanted to ask Commissioner Hochschild. Um, how- important and instrumental has the cap-and-trade market in California been in pushing the state towards its own uh, renewable energy goals?
1: Well, first of all, let me just take a minute to acknowledge and uh, recognize what Hawaii has done and just say you don't have to be a big state to make a big difference. Pioneering models that can spread at the state level, is actually that's where the action is right now. And I just want to give a round of applause to Chris Lee and his colleagues for getting this incredible <laughs> policy through. Because I think, I think it's pioneering, and I think it's visionary. And if you look at the ultimate energy destination where we need to go, where we will go, to me, it is 100% renewable and the electrification of almost everything. And policies like the 100% RPS, like this, this carbon-free standard that has been set up, uh, really helped drive that. In California, uh, we started our cap and trade program in 2012. And there were a lot of critics that propagated a lot of mythology about uh, all the disasters that would befall our state, unemployment going up and uh, the lights going out and and, uh, companies leaving the state. So what happened? We were, at that time, the ninth largest economy in the world. Today, we're the fifth largest economy in the world. Economic growth in our state since 2000, 46%. The rest of the United States, 35%, right? It has actually been, a giant uh, sort of source of gravity for new capital to come into the state. Our largest manufacturing operation in the state of California today is an electric car factory. Tesla was, had 10,000 employees there, which is twice as many employees as were there when it was under uh, you know, uh, GM um, previously. So it's just a great example, I think, of when you set up stable long-term policies that really send that investment signal, it actually is attracting new capital and driving uh, new innovation, and it's just interesting to note. You go back through these predictions, okay, <laughs> unemployment's going to go up. What's happened? We've cut the unemployment rate by about 65% since cap-and-trade started. Uh, the lights are going out. We have not had any rolling blackouts, um, and you know our economy is growing faster than the national average. So I think it's been an unequivocal success, and I think what's really needed uh, to roll this out nationwide is to have more states step up and create these stable policies. The one, I'll just close with this. I think we have learned a lesson. We've also made a lot of mistakes. I think earlier on one of the big mistakes we made was having very short-term policies. You provide incentives for solar or you know electric vehicles but they're just there for another year or two and that really doesn't work. You have to have long-term policies. So now pretty much all of our Climate policies and renewable energy policies, they're out till 2030, 2040, and that's the right way to go. It just creates the stability we need to uh, sustain the growth.
2: So, Peter, um, you obviously <laughs> care a lot about what develops. I mean, your company is one of the a significant, I don't know which, how big an employer it is for the state, but it's significant. Um, and you're dealing with your own industry's um, carbon aspirations, right? You have a program that's coming into place uh, for the industry, the aviation industry. I, I hope you'll address that in a moment. But what I, what is it a company like yours needs um, to, to, number one, how, what role should they have at the table? What seats should they have at the table? And number two, you know, how, what is it that would, would inspire you to think that this is a great opportunity?
4: Yeah, a couple things to address there. One, um, the Air transportation industry is actually not part of um, the state program, so so we're not directly uh, affected by this particular piece of legislation. But that doesn't mean we think well we should just stand on the sidelines. And and one of the things um, we believe at at Hawaiian is that um, we have a uh, an important stake in the long-term um, sustainability of Hawaii. And when I talk about sustainability, I think it's, it's in terms of economic sustainability because we're so tied to the number one industry here, which is tourism. It's environmental sustainability. Part of the reason we are so desirable as a tourism destination is because people love to come here and take advantage of the beautiful environment, the beautiful climate. If we destroy that, we have destroyed the, the source of our demand. And it's it's a social, socioeconomic, social um, sustainability as well. So we we think all those things are important to our community, and therefore we should have a seat at the table. Um, it I. Sort of remark on the the comment about the electrification of everything. Um, one of the last things to go. It's a noble goal. Um, one of the last things to go is going to be commercial air transportation, which is something that you know virtually everyone consumes now. We've done a great job of democratizing air travel, so where a great proportion of our population uses it. Um, but it's a hard thing still. Uh, it's a hard thing to put a big heavy piece of machinery into the air and fly it thousands of miles, and you need fuel um, that carries a lot of energy generation capability, and yet is stable enough to fly uh, inside an aircraft where you've also got 300 souls um, that you're trying to deliver safely to the other end of of the route. Um, So we're not, soon going to be electrified, although there are some efforts in the industry around research of electric airplanes, generally smaller scale than, than uh, well, universally smaller scale than what Hawaiians <laughs> flying today commercially. Uh, but, but someday, someday we can, we can get there. Um, what the aviation industry is doing, uh, and you alluded to it a second ago, is there is a program called Um, CORSIA, which is a carbon offsetting and reduction scheme for international aviation. And this was recognizing the fact that we are an industry that is ill-suited to jurisdiction by jurisdiction regulation because it it creates an uneven playing field. Um, We've worked together, the airlines through IATA, which is our international organization, through ICAO, which is another international organization, um, to come up with a, uh, an offset scheme that goes into place, uh, initially starting in 2019 with reporting, and then 2020 um, with actual carbon offsetting. The goal of that program is for all international aviation, beginning in 2020, um, we will have carbon neutral growth. So all um, all uh, carbon uh, production in excess or carbon uh, production in excess of what there is in 2020 will be offset by, um, by credits and with a goal by 2050 that we cut the overall emissions by 50%. Um, ideally, we'd prefer not to have to buy carbon offsets to accomplish that. We would love to do it through technology, um, through renewable fuels, um, those are things we're counting on over time. This is effectively the industry's commitment that we are going to use this program as a, uh, a placeholder until we get to a point where we can actually further reduce the amount of carbon that it takes to produce. And, and, we're, and we're moving in that direction with fuel efficient aircraft and, and a lot of different things.
1: If I could just add what, what to that, which is you're right. I think there is a sequence in which uh, the electrification of all sectors is going to unfold, and aviation and shipping are uh, going to be two of the last. However, uh, there's things that airline companies can do today. Everybody has vehicles, uh, of course, uh, you know, on, at the airports, and I think one of the things that's going to be driving the electrification of vehicles is the incredible reduction in cost of renewables. So the Wall Street Journal had an article today. And basically, the annual global spend on renewables is now about $300 billion. For all fossil, all coal, all nuclear, it's half of that, about $150 billion. And that is because solar and wind are cheaper. So it's going to be driven... Basically, your, your fuel source is going to be more stable and cheaper. And you combine that with what's happening in battery costs right now, which is they're following the same trajectory, and energy density is going up. And so I think... If that's gonna to continue to drive, and then eventually, you know, the companies doing electric air travel, like Lilium and others that have these, you know, four-person electric aircraft that are kind of like a, a drone, but for a, you know, a family, I guess, uh, you know, hopefully they'll continue to build and grow, and we may be getting to Hawaii by electric eventually, but... Uh... And
4: ultimately, technology is part of the answer. It is, you know, can you, can you store electricity more efficiently and in a smaller footprint, and can you generate electricity um, more efficiently so you don't need something as heavy to do it. it it for for us it is it is really a weight question which is why it's starting with with so smaller planes to the,
2: the, the, what hawaii need to do with this particular like where, where we need to go with this program and and also the question of jurisdiction because it's it's quite you have you mentioned a few states where we've got things popping up and obviously in the absence of national leadership we need to be doing things on a state-by-state state basis. It's just, a, or a region, like I live in the Northeast, so a regional basis. What does Hawaii need to do, and how do they need to look at other states? Like, what is it, um, you could learn from another state, but what is it that you need to do that's specific to Hawaii that that, that you can't budge on?
3: You know, we actually have, it's a, it's a pro and con situation when we look at what we as a state have, um, opportunities for and i think and and, you know california i think has probably been leading the pack amongst many of the states uh, on climate stuff in general for many years um, especially the last two for some reason but they face challenges like every state when it comes to the commerce clause when it comes to how to coordinate how to for example if you're dealing with ground transportation measure all the cars that are within your state We obviously don't have that problem because nobody's driving to California anytime soon. So for us, I think we can coordinate in a lot of ways and collaborate and where they're running into trouble, we're able to just sail ahead because we don't have the similar kinds of challenges they have. So for us, one of the things that we're working on right now and I really have to give credit to uh, Governor Ige and his administration uh, for working with Governor Jerry Brown in California as well as Governor Inslee from Washington and a number of other states to behind the scenes really align a lot of the resources that are available. Because as states, we are all resource limited, I think. Um, and with the federal government not being as uh, at the forefront, let's say, on, on renewable energy um, when it comes to the resources being provided to states these days, it's really up to us. So for example, California's got billions of dollars um, that they're investing in their renewables efforts and transportation and all the things. we have millions of dollars here in Hawaii. So the question is, can we coordinate at an agency level Um, at a legislative level in other places, and and even business to business and utility to utility to leverage those resources. So because we have higher penetration rates of renewable and uh, distributed energy, for example, we are asking technical questions here that no one else is in other places. But California, for example, is doing a lot more when it comes to transportation. So can we leverage those resources, have them ask some of the questions for us, do some of that analysis? We share our results collectively, everybody wins. It's something that um, I'm hoping whoever the next governor is of California, um, Gavin Newsom, I presume, uh, will continue forward with. And, and yes, I'm not gonna make the same prediction for us here in Hawaii, but uh, uh, I, I do think regardless, that relationship is going to persevere because we simply cannot do without
2: it. Elaine, we have time for one question from this sidebar. Shall you indulge us? I can't see you, but (laughs) speak, there you go, hi. Hi, so recently the carbon tax proposal died in Hawaii, um, but there's a lot of value in, you know, people talking about the 45Q carbon tax credit enhancement and how that's gonna create this carbon market value, get carbon value market for, Um, carbon tech innovation, you know, uh, carbon sequestration and different kinds of products and things like that. And also uh, just the idea of some kind of a market for carbon. What is is the mechanism look, is there another mechanism if carbon tax is not the solution for Hawaii, specifically for Rep. Lee and then maybe California or maybe even Peter, you wanna weigh in, given um, how successful you think that could be locally?
0: You can
3: just chime in by saying you know, hawaii i think unlike other states has had um, one of the best uh, natural carbon taxes on it for generations and that's the cost of getting fossil fuels to us in the first place that other states don't really have so for us we've not only got that additional cost which clearly influences um, how our renewable market reacts and what pencils here in hawaii uh, but also we've got our barrel tax which is um generating about $50 million a year on all fossil fuels coming into the state. And so the question is, um, where is the difference between what we have now and where we want to be with respect to pricing carbon? And while we we didn't pass a carbon tax, um, we didn't even, I think, have a meaningful discussion about it in the state uh, thus far. But I do think um, the step that comes before that is figuring out what that difference is and what that delta is we need to fill um, in order to keep business on board with our general momentum um, in order to keep residents uh, from paying exorbitant prices for energy and dealing with all the externalities. But at the same time, recognizing that if we don't do something and we don't fill that delta to figure out how to transform our economy fast enough, uh, clearly we're all gonna pay the price uh, far more so than ever before because of our eroding beaches and loss of tourism and loss of fresh water supply and all the things that we know are
1: coming down the pipe. I would just add that, you know, it's important to remember that despite having the Trump administration actively pushing coal and nuclear and other uh, expensive, ridiculous propositions in today's energy markets, most of the energy policies that matter actually in the United States are made at the state level. So particularly for renewables where you have interconnection standards and rate designs and state tax credits and net metering and all the others, uh, RPS and so on, and all the states talk to each other, and the legislation that uh, Chris Lee passed in 2015 to do 100% uh, renewables, that has materially impacted what California is talking about right now, uh, and that there's a great exchange of ideas. Uh, we, at my commission, just voted a month ago to mandate solar on every new home in California starting January 1st of 2020. And, you know, with all these things, there's always a first state to do it, and then uh, you know, others fall, and we're always looking for great ideas. And so I just think uh, having states be bold, we have a surplus of carbon and a shortage of courage. And so having people like Chris and his colleagues step out and show leadership, that can spread. In fact, if you look at how we got all the policies we have at the state level around the United States, it always started with somebody bold pushing a model and then it spreads uh, rapidly.
4: And Absolutely. One of the one of the things when you think about a tax versus other incentives or versus a uh, a solar requirement on new homes, um, we should be mindful of um, the balancing the economic impact of that and make sure we're choosing the right incentives. I, I I think everyone in this room will be aligned on where we want to get to. There's a real important question about how we get there and. Um, representative Lee mentioned already, we do have you know, an inherent carbon tax already because of the transportation costs of moving things in. That is a penalty to consumers in this market. That is a penalty to businesses operating in this market. And so the question is wh- whether you add another penalty on top or you, you've come up with some other incentives as a more efficient way to accomplish uh, the, what you want to accomplish, and that, that goes back to the issue of why we want to make sure we have a seat at the table to make sure these other things are being considered.
3: Can I, can I just throw in one last thing? <laughs> I, didn't,
4: I didn't actually answer the question uh, earlier, of course, but... Uh, but
3: You're a politician. <laughs> I, I'm so good at it, but... Uh, <laughs> no, but, but the serious question is like whether, I mean, uh, uh, there is space for um, you know, pricing carbon on one hand, in many of the forms that we just talked about, but also considering in the same uh, same token, the impacts and the cost of paying for climate adaptation and all the other stuff. So when you combine those together, the question is how do you create a mechanism uh, that is both progressive and not gonna leave you know, those who can least afford it behind, but ultimately uh, uh, transfers the cost uh, and the risk of all the climate impacts from just a small few to make sure that we all do our part. That is ultimately the policy, and it's not just focused on the tax side, it's focused on everything, and I think that's something which is an important part of the conversation that we just haven't yet had here in Hawaii.
2: You have witnessed something unprecedented, which is me going over time, and that we're totally getting the hook, and I really am very sorry because this is a great topic, and I really appreciate all of you for being here this afternoon. Thank you so much. and I'm going to probably hit you up backstage for more information. <laughs> but please uh, thank our panelists
0: here. You've been listening to David Hochschild, Chris Lee, Peter Ingram, and Heather Clancy in conversation at the virtual Hawaii Conference in June 2018. For more Center Stage podcasts, go to greenbiz.com slash centerstage. And while you're there, tune into Green Biz 350, our weekly podcast covering the news and the people behind the news, in sustainable business and clean technology. For all of us here at Green Biz Group, I'm Joel McCoward. Thanks for listening.